Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Warning, Food Poisoning. Food Poisoning, Mark 8, 10 to 15. Now we've been in the book of Mark the last couple of weeks. We've been doing the first 20 verses there in chapter 8. And we saw how Jesus fed 4,000 people. Then he teaches the forgetful disciples a memory lesson. If you weren't here, get the podcast or the CD on all that. It's a lesson for all of us. Many times when we are in a trial, it's very easy to forget how God has provided in the past, right? We panic. We hit the panic button or the fear button and, and freak out button instead of the faith button. And we talked a lot about that the last couple of weeks. We forget how God has provided in the past. But it's very important to remember God's grace, his past grace. It's very important to remember that if we're to move forward in our faith today. But in between these, I don't know, nobody really noticed. I left out a few verses here. You've got to be careful. If some pastor leaves out verses, there could be a reason for it. No, no panic here. Uh, I did it on purpose because I was saving a little part in between there. In between the feeding of the crowd, the bread, and reminding the apostles that he just got done feeding them, reminding them of that, in between Mark sandwiches in a little passage, a little couple verses here, five verses. He sandwiches in a warning, a food warning. Watch out for this sandwich because it's food poisoning, salmonella, okay? Some spiritual salmonella here. Have you ever been warned about eating something? Don't eat something. You ever been warned about that and ignored it? I like hot, spicy food. I like it a lot. And people drop off hot peppers. And I remember a couple years back, someone dropped off some really hot peppers, and they just set them on the cab counter. And Kim came through and wanted to move them. They were in the way, so she moved them. And then she rubbed her eyes. Not a good idea. She couldn't, she's flushing her eyes, she's washing her eyes, what's going to happen to my eyes? I'm like, those are hot peppers, you're not supposed to touch them. She goes, I don't know, because she, she hates hot stuff, she doesn't touch it. So she, her, her contacts were melted, you know, almost, you know, it was like really hot. So this week, Ed dropped off some more hot peppers, and this time he, he wrote on it, he put a skull and crossbones, Fort Chuck, really hot, you know, so Kim was afraid to touch them. She goes, here, move that bag for me. She learned her lesson, didn't want her contacts to melt. And, uh, and I was also nervous. I actually called that. I said, where is that? I said, Ed, uh, oh, there he is. I said, Ed, I'm afraid, well, how hot are these? You know, I don't want to eat them. He goes, oh, they're really hot. They're really hot. But you can eat them. You can eat them. And it uh, turned out they weren't that. They were duds after all, right? But, but he scared me. I was scared. I was being very, very careful. I ate them very carefully. Jesus gives the 12 apostles a warning today about some dangerous food. And it's in, the, in this Mark Witch, this sandwich, this Mark Witch. And it's really a warning for all of us. A warning for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this communion Sunday and preparing through your, your word today for communion. And Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Through your mercy and your grace. You would speak to us. You know why we're here. You know why you've called us here this morning. You know what you want to speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. We pray for your mercy and grace that your Holy Spirit would do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the five verses, which, by the way, nobody pointed out. Hey, pastor, you missed five verses here. You got to be careful. Uh, Verses 10 to 15 Starting with verse 10, he got into the boat with his disciples and went into the region of Delmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And once again, on both sides, there's some wild stories on both sides, some spiritual, powerful spiritual lessons for us. But I just want to focus on this little part here where he gives them two warnings, two warnings in verses 10 to 15, two warnings. The first warning is in verse 10 to 13, which I'll read again. This is warning number one, where he said, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Delmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. And the warning here is the warning against wanting a sign. A sign. Now, why is this so bad? Why is it so bad to ask Jesus for a sign? Because he had already given them plenty. He had just fed 4,000 people with a few loaves of bread, right? I mean, what more do these Pharisees want, these, these religious leaders? What more do they want? He had already just showed them the messianic manna. Remember what we talked about, the messianic manna? Even the Gentiles got it. The 4,000 Gentiles this time, 5,000 Jews the first time, 4,000 Gentiles this time. Even the Gentiles got it. They were praising the, the, the coming Jewish Messiah. They got it. So why did the Pharisees miss it? Because it exposed their heart and faith issue. It exposed a defective heart and a defective faith issue. We already have talked about way back when we started, Mark, that how miracles don't create faith. Miracles do not create faith in people. They just expose it. Miracles expose to faith or they expose a lack of faith. In each miracle that Jesus does in the, in the scriptures here, especially as we're going through Mark, we see that it touches hearts and people respond in faith. But there's another group, especially the Pharisees, they don't respond in faith. They get ticked off. They get angry because what does that miracle do? It's not creating faith in them. It's ticking them off. It's showing that they don't have faith in their hearts for God. They're not really following God. That's what it's showing. In fact, in Matthew 16, which is a parallel passage to this, let's look over in Matthew 16, and I think I'll have it behind us. Matthew 16, 1 to 4 says, parallel passage, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in morning... And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And, and each of the different apostles, the gospel writers, when they write it, the Holy Spirit leads them to record different parts of Jesus' conversation. You put them all together and you get the full conversation, but each one is writing to a different group a diff for a different purpose. All right? And Matthew is writing to the Jews, proving Jesus is the king. Mark is writing to the 
Gentiles. He's writing to the, the Christians in Rome, the Gentile Christians in Rome. That's who he's writing to. And so we see here in this passage in Matthew, he really brings out the unbelief. He's writing about the Pharisees the, and the Sadducees, the unbelief. They're testing Jesus. Their request in the midst of these miracles that Jesus had already done shows that they had wicked unfaithfulness. And Matthew here includes Jonah. Mark left Jonah out. Why would Mark leave Jonah out but Matthew include Jonah? Right, they're Gentiles. The Gentiles don't know anything about Jonah. That's an Old Testament story. The Jews would know about Jonah. So he lifts it out. Mark is writing to the Gentiles. They don't know anything about that. And Jonah is an Old Testament picture of Jesus Christ. A picture of his death and resurrection. In fact, let's back up in Matthew a couple chapters when he was used Jonah the first time. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41, listen to what he says to them. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. See, they're always pushing him for a sign. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah was a prophetic picture. We talked about types, Elisha and Elijah all representing Jesus. And and, and the feeding, uh, when Elisha fed the hundred people with the loaves, predicting what Jesus was going to do, feeding the four thousand and the five thousand. And Jonah is a type, a prophetic picture. It's, It's also a story of Jonah and the prophet, but it's also a prophetic picture of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jonah was three days in this wet, this fish, not a whale, a fish, and, and Jesus three days in the grave. The, Jonah comes out alive miraculously out of this fish, a miracle. Jesus rises again from the dead. It's a picture. But even that, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a sign, the sign of Jonah. He's predicting his death and resurrection. But he said, even that will not convince them. What did they do? The Pharisees, when they saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ in front of them, no denying it, they still denied it. They still tried to squelch it. They still tried to hide it. They bribed the guards. They did anything they could to deny Jesus. They still refused because inside, it was, they, 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 their hearts were hardened and no miracle was going to convince them. Many people today, I have them say it to me all the time, well, if Jesus would just really show up now and do some kind of miraculous thing, if I could see a miracle, then I would believe. Then I would believe. We just want some kind of proof. Then they would turn to Jesus. That is just a smokescreen. It's a smoke screen. Lots of smoke screens. I know Chuck out in the street, you get those all the time, right? You get all kinds of... You say, well, if I could answer that question that you're answering, asking, if I could answer that, would you put your faith in Jesus? No, 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 no. I just want to throw out a smoke screen. And this is a smoke screen when they want to see a miracle. Even today, it's a smoke screen for a hard heart. You know why? Because we have everything we need. We have all the proof we need for Jesus Christ. And what is that proof? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is all the proof. Jesus is saying it. Jonah is all the proof you need. We have all the proof we need. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is a fact of history. It's a fact. It's a historical fact. In fact, uh, we had a... I remember a youth group that... A church I was on staff at. We used to send our teens. It was a confirmation class. They would go to this... A rabbi and talk at a synagogue and he was a really nice guy and a great guy and he would share the Jewish perspective and, and it was really a good lesson for the kids to understand the Old Testament but the one thing he always would say that just was really, I thought, sad 
is he said, listen, I know Jesus did miracles. We all know it. You can't deny it. We know that somehow he rose from the dead. Somehow this Jesus, this great rabbi, he rose from the dead. There's no denying it. It's a historical fact. We can't deny it. The only thing is I don't believe your conclusion. I don't believe he was the son of God and the Messiah. But I don't deny the resurrection. It's a fact. It's a historical fact. We have all the the proof we need. It's a heart and faith issue. It's a heart and faith issue. And even if somebody did some great miracle and came back from the dead now and said, Jesus sent me back, if people don't want to believe, they're not going to believe. In fact, I'll give you a proof. Luke, Luke 16. Jesus is telling the story of Lazarus from the rich man in Luke 16. And he says to him, remember Luke, uh, in, in the story Jesus tells, it's not a parable, it's a true story, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, Luke 16, where, where Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, which at that time, I'm not going to get into all of it, but it's, that would be heaven today once Jesus went down and took it up. It's at heaven today. He's in Abraham's bosom. He's in the good side. But le- the rich man who was, did not have faith, who was, lived a wicked life, he ends up in hell. And this guy in hell is being tormented. And listen to what he says in verse 27. He, he said, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. He says, send Lazarus. Let Lazarus come back from the dead and, and, and warn my brothers because I don't want them to come and burn in hell with me. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the grave, from the, I'm sorry, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. No miracle would convince them. And no miracle would convince somebody because we have plenty of proof today. We have the word of God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it comes down to faith. Pure and simple. Do we have a heart of faith or we harden our heart because the proof is there. Even even many Christians I, I see chasing signs. Chasing signs. Always looking for God to do something miraculous or, or some new revelation out there. Always looking for this. I, I, call, I call them revival chasers. You know there's tornado chasers? You ever see those shows? People get in the car and they chase the tornadoes and they videotape it. And every time they, they, it's going green, it's going green, they chase the other. These people are crazy. Well, there's a lot of people who do that spiritually. They're, I call them revival chasers. Now, don't get me wrong. Listen to this. I love to see miracles. I love it. And it's very moving when the Holy Spirit speaks to hearts and leads, and and I love that, all right? But the only revelation we really need is right here in the Word of God. That's the only revelation we truly need to grow in our faith and and reach maturity in Christ. That's the only one. And, And we have the Holy Spirit in us already. We don't need to go be, you know, zapped by somebody with special powers, right? Because the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us at that moment. We have the Holy Spirit. And we don't need new revelation. We don't, as soon as we say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I repent of my sin. I believe he died for my sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. The Holy Spirit comes in. And we don't need new revelation. We have God's word. We don't need miraculous signs for a strong faith. Uh, We don't need those anymore because whatever we need is in the Bible. 
We don't need new miraculous signs to, to grow our faith. It's already here in the Word. Any miraculous sign that we need to see is already recorded by the Holy Spirit in God's Word. And if we are in God's Word, now under, hear me now this. If we are in God's Word and we're in God's will, and the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way, we're already in the Word, we're already in His will, and the Holy Spirit shows up in a powerful way, great! That's super. We love it, right? <laughs> that's awesome. We hope for that all the time. But that's just the frosting on the cake. That's just the gravy. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ and in his word. And our faith is based on a close relationship with God the Father through his word. Not new supernatural proofs, which we like to see, but they're not necessary. And if they are necessary for anyone, then we're chasing signs. They just come as part of being a Christian. And it's awesome. We like it. But it shouldn't do anything for our faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ and in his word. That's got to be the foundation. Otherwise, we're just tornado chasers. So really, this is a warning against false faith. Now, the second warning is really a wild one. The second warning back here in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 to 15, is a warning against the yeast of the Pharisees. Let's read it again. The disciples had gotten forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. He warns them against the yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, let's look at the parallel passage here. And Herod. Let's look at the par- parallel passage. Matthew 16. Let's go back to Matthew 16. Verses 11 and 12. Once again, parallel passage, because whenever you look at the parallel passages, it brings out more. Always let the Bible expand on what what the Bible means, all right? Verse 11 and 12 says, How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to be on to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, this is interesting. Again, Matthew says Pharisees and Sadducees. Mark says Pharisees and Herod. So, obviously, Jesus said all three. He said Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herod. But why did Matthew record Pharisees and Sadducees and Mark only record Pharisees and Herod? Jewish Gentiles. Matthew is writing to the Jews. And they know who the Pharisees and Sadducees are. Mark is writing to the Gentiles. A little fuzzy on the Pharisees. No idea of the Sadducees. But they know Herod because he was the Roman party for them. Herod was the pro-Rome guy, the puppet for Rome. They they know all about about Herod. So he uses them. Now, watch how the Holy Spirit works. The Sadducees followed Herod. They were pro-Rome. That's what they were. So by saying Herod to them, they, they got the same gist as the, the, people, the Sadducees. Sadducees equal Herod. They followed them. Uh, I'll give you a little background on these guys here. They, the, the Sadducees were not spiritual, but they were worldly. This is what they were like. They followed Herod. They followed Rome. They were worldly. They didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. Religious leaders. <laughs> they didn't even believe in the resurrection of the dead. The Pharisees did. Sadducees didn't. But they were the religious leaders. They were like the, the head priests and all kinds of stuff. And they were always battling the Pharisees, theological debates, all that stuff. Battling for the power of hearts and minds of people. So they didn't even believe in that. That's why you know the song, I just want to be a sheep. 
bad, bad. Remember? I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. Don't want to be a wolf, no. I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Now, here we go. I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're too sad, you see. I don't want to be a Sadducee. That's how you remember. Why are they sad? They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in God, really. They're just like these atheist leaders. Shocking, huh? Nothing's changed, right? So now, now you can remember Sadducees are sad. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Uh, they were political. They were pro-Rome. All they cared about was power and money. Can you believe that? Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That's why Jesus equated them with Herod. He used Herod interchangeably with the Sadducees because they were pro-Herod. They were pro-Rome. They supported Herod, which the Jewish people hated and the Pharisees hated, right? They were politically correct instead of biblically correct. Got that? Politically correct, not biblically correct. That's what they were. Jesus says they are yeast. They're false teachers. Just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were also false teachers. The, the, the Sadducees were known as worldly. The Pharisees were known as works. They taught works salvation. They, did, they rejected faith. That's why they wouldn't put their faith in Jesus. They didn't know anything about faith. They developed a whole system of earning their way into heaven by following this good system. They had to jump through these religious hoops and, and try to be good enough to get to heaven. Can you believe anybody would teach something like that? A lot of us grew up in those churches, didn't we? Didn't we? And he says they're false teachers. And there are many forms of false teaching in the USA today, aren't there? Many forms of false teaching. And what is false teaching? Anything that goes against the word of God is false teaching. Or anybody who leaves out parts of the word of God is a false teacher. That's why I was giving you kidding me about my skip five verses. There's a lot of pastors, they preach through the Bible, but they leave out chunks of scripture. They have a Swiss cheese Bible. They leave out whatever's going to offend anybody, whatever's going to hurt somebody's feelings, whatever's going to hurt the... Remember what we talked about? The numbers or the money. Remember we did that survey, talked about that survey that came out, George Barna, right? And, and they, they preach that's false teaching. And there's many forms of false teaching in our country today. Work salvation. Being good enough to get to heaven. The majority of churches in the United States today teach a work salvation. Do you understand that? The majority... Of churches teach work salvation. That if you do certain religious rituals and rites and jump through these hoops, you're going to go to heaven. Or just be good enough. If you're just good enough, you're just a good person. So, you know, be ye kind one to another. If you just follow the golden rule, you get to heaven. That grandfather God that he looks a lot like Santa. He's going to let everybody in. That's what they teach, right? That's that's false teaching. And not just, the, not just the work salvation, but just like the Sadducees, there's a worldliness taught. Everyone is accepted. Doesn't matter what your life is like, doesn't matter what your lifestyle is, everyone is accepted. You can live any way you want. God understands. He not only understands, He affirms the way you live. Doesn't matter what you live like, He affirms it. And that's the norm in many churches today. Isn't it? The works and worldliness is the norm in many, many churches. In fact, New Hope Community Church, why do we start this church here? We're the only gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church in New Hope. Did you understand that? There's not a single, another single gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church here in New Hope. It's not just New Hope. When people move, you know, we'd say goodbye to Ron and Linda 
couple weeks ago, I went looking for a church for them, and I was searching. I, could, I had a hard time finding a church for them in their new area in Pennsylvania. In fact, there was only one in their region that was a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. The rest were out there, out there. It's hard to find. Now, if you go south, you get to the Bible Belt, and out further west, you know, Lancaster, you get to the Bible Belt areas, it's different. But there's huge areas of the United States you have trouble finding gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches. And, and I, I go, when I try to help someone find a church, I go on their website, and I'll, there's no doctrinal statement. Red, red flag. If there's no doctrinal statement, that means they don't care about doctrine, right? Uh, or I'll call and I'll ask key questions and say, well, what is your position on this? And they'll say, well, we don't really have a position on that. I go, thank you, you just told me your position. It's, it's shocking even what so-called Christian churches teach or won't teach. Someone came to me uh, yesterday with a pro-life voter guide. It shows what, what the people who are running for office, what their position is on abortion. Do they support abortion or are they against abortion? And this person was kind of nervous asking me because she had already been to a whole bunch of churches and they had rejected this voter. You can't have that here and all kinds of different churches. You can't, you can't hand those out here. Go out in the parking lot. Someone wants to take one, fine. And, and, and I said, well, we already have been doing that for weeks. We've been handing those out there. Really? Like surprise, pleasantly surprised. And and it's it's crazy the churches and, and if you don't have a voter guide, I encourage you to get one. They're on the table, we've been giving them out. It shows people's position. It's very, very important. It, it's it's crazy that churches won't allow this because they don't want to offend somebody. Even many evangelical churches. They don't want to offend anybody. So they want a, a voter guide on abortion. It, it, it's crazy. If they won't allow people to know about abortion they're obviously not you know on a voter guide they're obviously not preaching about it right and if the church of jesus christ is not preaching about killing babies then there's no hope we're under judgment already we're not going to be judged we are being judged that's what it's saying nazi germany all the jews were being killed and you know what you know why they were being killed because the church would not speak up they were afraid to talk against the government or offend people or be persecuted. They wouldn't speak up. Only a few. Only a few would take a stand. And now we call them heroes. Bonhoeffer and different ones. They're heroes now. But they weren't then. They were hated in Germany. If I tell everybody, why do I put out a voter guide? Because if I can't trust a politician to protect the life of an unborn baby... I don't trust them with anything. I won't trust them with anything. I mean, think about it. Oh, well, you know, this is a, this is a good person, but they, they, they believe in slavery. They believe slavery is okay, but they're a good guy. They have a lot of good stances. They just believe in slavery. Would you vote for them? Oh, they're good, but they believe in rape. Rape's okay. They believe rape is okay. Or they believe it's okay to kill Jews. But I like a lot of their other positions. Would you even consider them? But we've been so brainwashed in this culture. So brainwashed that eh, so it doesn't matter if they believe it's okay to kill an unborn baby. They're still good guys. They, you know, that's, that's my political party. It's, it's crazy. If any of us believe it's okay for anybody to kill an unborn baby, we need to be offended. We need to be convicted. Right? That's what I was there. I know many of us were there at one time. I didn't think it was a big deal. I needed to be offended by God's word. I needed to be convicted by God's word. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not 
kill. It covers it all. For 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been 100% pro-life. Did you know that? There's been no discussion. Read church history. There is no discussion on it. It's complete. They said, let the Romans kill their babies. You keep your babies alive. You better protect these babies. That was the attitude of the church from the beginning all the way through for 2,000 years until now. All of a sudden, things have changed. I pray that everyone here will commit to protecting unborn children, whether it's your own children someday, or even if you get caught in a bad situation, protecting them, never abort. From now, to, from now on, the moment you become a Christian, I hope that you won't abort a baby anymore. I know many people do that before they're Christians. I know a lot of women here have, have had abortions. They've, you've talked to me about it. You've talked to Kim. You've, you, we've prayed together. We've found healing. And I want to encourage you, if you've never got your healing, if you're still struggling with the guilt and the pain of that, come talk to Kim or myself, and we'll connect you with another woman. There's a whole group of women who said, send them to me. I'll pray with them. I'll walk them through the healing. I'll help them find mercy and grace and forgiveness and healing. Talk to me. Talk to Kim. We'll get you connected. Because God's mercy and grace covers it all. The cross of Jesus. Take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and get your healing. You don't have to carry that pain and that lie and that accusation anymore. So be on our guards. We need to be on our guards against yeast of the modern-day Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herods, of the works and the worldliness. And yeast is also a symbol of sin. It's a symbol of sin. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, Exodus 12, let me read to you, Exodus 12, verses 17 to 20 of the Passover, says this, Celebrate the feast of the unleavened bread, because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses and whoever eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel whether he is an alien or a native born. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live you must eat unleavened bread. The Jews had to get rid of all yeast in their house on the Passover. They had to make bread without yeast. Exodus 23.18 even talks about the sacrifices. In Exodus 23.18 he says this. Moses, through the Holy Spirit, writes, Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The offering cannot have any yeast in it. The blood of the lamb, when they sacrificed the lamb, the blood of the lamb could not have any yeast. No yeast is allowed. And that's why I saved this passage for the communion today, because we must never mix sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, yeast is also a picture of sin and false teaching. In fact, in Galatians 5, 7 to 9 says this. Galatians 5, 7 says, You were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you a little yeast. There it is. Thank you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Warning against the false teaching. Warning against uh, the whole false teaching. In fact, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. I'm staying with the yeast theme here. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 6 says this. Now connect the dots. Here we go. It is actually reported 
that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am physically not physically present, I am with you in spirit, and I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And then look at verses 7 and 8, following up here. Connect the dots. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. We're still to keep a pure Passover, but not just physical yeast, but it's a spiritual yeast. It's cleansing ourselves from any sin in our life. Very important. And that's what's our Passover today. It's the communion service, the Lord's Supper. And that's the whole point of it, of communion, is is communing with God, communing, reconnecting with Jesus Christ, and getting ready of anything in our life that comes between us and God. It's a reminder of that. First Corinthians, go forward a few, pa- a few uh, chapters. First Corinthians 11, talking. Now, connect the dots here. Keep connecting the dots. First Corinthians 11, 23. And then we're going to go into communion from here. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Communion. That's heavy, isn't it? Communion is a time to reflect. It's a time to search our hearts. It's a time to ask for the Holy Spirit's conviction. And whenever the Holy Spirit, whenever he shows us that leaven is found in our life in some way, it's a time to remove that leaven, to repent, to reconnect with Jesus Christ in purity. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian yet. You've never been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by our Passover lamb. Today could be that day. could be the day that you put your faith in Jesus and ask for forgiveness and give your life to Jesus Christ. Today could be that day. We're going to take communion now. And what it is, you just read about it, the, the, 
The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ, so we take that in remembrance of what Jesus gave his body on that cross. The, the, the grape juice that we use is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ, and when we drink that, we're remembering the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're just going to have some music playing, and when you're ready, just come on up and, and get the bread and the cup and go back to your seat, and you can take it by yourself, you can take it with your family, you can take it with your a friend, you can, however the Holy Spirit leads. There's no right or wrong way to take communion. The key is taking it with Jesus Christ. But who shouldn't take it? Probably none of us really should. <laughs> but, but it's if there's sin in our life, and not just sin, but if there's unrepentant sin, if we're sitting here and saying, okay, I know I shouldn't be doing this or thinking this or acting on this or wanting to do this, but I don't care. God understands. We should not take it. That's taking it in an unworthy way. But if we say, God, I'm a sinner, and I'm struggling with this sin, and I ask you to forgive me and help me. I need to reconnect with you through communion. I'm asking you for your mercy and grace to help me to fight this battle. That's taking communion in a worthy way. So if there's something you're not willing to surrender, don't take it. Wait for next time. We take it every month. But if you're willing this morning to just open your hands and say, God, help me. I need your mercy and grace. And also, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not ready to take that step of faith yet, that's okay. People come sometimes for years before they're on that spurt, you're on that spiritual journey, you come for years, no problem. We don't videotape, we don't, we're not keeping track of who takes it or not. Only it's between you and God. But if you're not ready, but I hope that maybe today would be the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you can start to commune with God, not just in communion, but every day. That's what it's all about. When we put our faith in Jesus, communion is a reminder that we can have communion with God every day by keeping our hearts clean and our lives clean before him. Living the life he, he's called us to live. That real life he's called us to live. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning? Maybe you're here today and you've never communed with God, really communed with him, because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, his son. You've never been cleansed by the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb who died for us to wash us if we will put our faith in him. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And today is the day of salvation for you. There's no religious rituals. You don't need anybody. It's a prayer between you and God through his son, Jesus Christ. Just say, God, I repent of my sin. I repent. I turn away for my sin. I ask you to forgive me for everything in my life that goes against your word and your will and your good purpose for my life. Please forgive me. Anything I've ever done or ever will do, forgive me. I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. 
I believe he rose from the dead for me. To give me a new life. I believe that. I put my faith, my trust, my hope in Jesus. I give my life to you, God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, or if you do pray that prayer of faith, the Holy Spirit has just come into you, and your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you came with a family member or a friend or tell me on the way out or fill out the card or text, call, email. Some, let somebody know so that we can be excited and, and, and help you grow in your new faith. But the best part is God knows. And you can now commune with God as your Father anytime through his Son, Jesus. Any prayer in Jesus' name. You can come to him. We can talk to him anytime. Anywhere, whatever struggle, whatever we've just done wrong, we can keep it clean. We can ask for forgiveness. But anytime, whatever we're fighting, whatever we're going through, whatever our needs are, we can communicate with Him anytime. We can spend time with the Creator of the universe. He's now your Father. And for those of us who have already put our faith in Christ before, but what is the Holy Spirit convicting us of in our life? What leaven needs to be removed? It could be an action. It could be a thought. It could be a desire. What leaven needs to be removed so that we can enjoy our communion? our love relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not giving anything up. We're throwing something up. We're getting rid of garbage in our life. We're getting rid of disease. We're getting rid of spiritual Ebola. We're, we're, we're not giving up anything good. We're getting rid of something that's keeping us from something great. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that each of us would be able to commune with you this morning, and not just this morning, but this would just be the start of a close, close communion time with you, Father, each and every day. I pray that we would know the peace and the joy of that love relationship with you. I pray that we would know the fullness of your Holy Spirit's power in our life. We pray that in Jesus' name.